Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about revisions. Woo! <laughs> how to get them. No, we're not going to talk about how to, <laughs> how get, to them. get them. <laughs> <laughs> They're actually pretty easy to get. <laughs> and more importantly, how to deal with them and how to handle them when they come about. Mm-hmm. And how to do so in a healthy uh, way for you and your clients and your personal sanity. So because I know that this is a very big issue for a lot of people and uh, you, you know, a lot of people take a quite substantial ego hit. A hit mm-hmm. to the gut. Yes. Whenever... Uh, revisions are afoot. So, Sam, Matt, you want to get into revisions? I'd love to get into it. Have you ever had a revision? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Does I that sure, fatigue you up? I sure have. That feels like a softball right there. I mean, it was like right across home. I'm I mean, gonna, you could definitely bunt that one, but I'm going to swing at it. Oh, okay. Here we go. Knock Re- it out of the park. Monologue number one. Oh, is one. that 2021? Knock it out of the park. Oh, you ready my to knock gosh. this one out of they the have park? have a baseball theme song and sound effects? No, we're going to say, you ready to knock this one out of the park? Yeah, and then I'm going to do like a baseball swing. No, instead of like get into... Oh, shit. Hello, sound effects. So we're going to have sound effects next year. Yeah, it's going to be like cracking the bat and then like cheering crowd. Get your popcorn. We're bringing baseball back. Hot dogs. All right. We're going to have a seventh inning stretch. <laughs> Absolutely, for my be an organ. Maybe. Why wouldn't there be an organ? I've got lots of months to prepare this. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm excited now for 2021. Have you ever had a revision, Sam? I have, and let me talk. Let me let me talk to you about it. Let me tell you something about revisions. Uh oh. When I started back in my day, um, revisions for me were always extremely painful. Uh, I took it very personally. Always viewed it as an attack. Always felt like it meant I was doing something wrong. And it took me many, many years to flip the script on revisions and see them as what we have referred to on the show as the answer key. And revisions, um, for a lot of people, it's very detrimental to ego and pride. It can make you feel terrible. Um And what I have observed over the years is that when revisions come in, there's multiple things of why you get revision. One could be that there were not clear communication of expectations of what you were supposed to do. And this can fall on both sides, the client side and your side for not figuring out how you should be approaching the project and what is expected in delivery. It's very important to ask your client, you know, at the mastering stage, I have everybody sign off on the mix and basically say they love the mix, they sign off on it, it's good to go. So that right there helps me reduce revisions immediately because I know at least everyone has signed off on the mix and is excited about that. So then it is my job to listen to where it is and take it to where it needs to go to be ready for release. Um, So that's something that you must do when it comes to revisions. If you do not communicate well with your client 
um, then you're going to have lots of revisions. When a revision comes in back in the day, I used to dismiss it um, as basically the person not knowing anything because my ego would always speak up and say like, don't they know how hard I worked and how bad that kick drum was and how bad that vocal was and they don't appreciate me and what I'm doing. It sounds, you know, the best it can sound. And that whole dialogue or broken record that is very common for a lot of people, um, for me, always came from, I usually agreed to a project at a lesser rate um, than I wanted or I took on something I didn't really want to be doing um, and I wasn't willing to see the project all the way through to the end, which includes revisions. So whenever you commit to a project, um, you are committing to not just doing one version, but you're depending on your revision policy, which I don't have a revision policy outside of I am happy to revise if needed until everyone is happy. Um, when we did that, or when I did that, sorry, we, I don't know who we is. When I changed my policy to have unlimited revisions, um, I started doing less revisions because I think people felt less pressure of having to throw the kitchen sink at each revision, hoping to nail it. It mm-hmm. um, creates a little more space for some open dialogue to just try one thing to see if that takes care of it, as opposed to thinking, oh, I only have three chances to get this right, so let's change 10 things each time. Which I found that method to be the most destructive, unproductive, and frustrating way to go through the revision process. Um, so for me, revisions are a part of the process. Um, it is crazy to think. Um, that revisions are bad or are not needed. I'm not saying, I mean, most of the time I knock it out of the park, honestly. I already threw that back in, knock it out of the park. Um, (laughs) At this stage, 10 years in, it wasn't always like that, but now I have a really good understanding and I know how to communicate with people really well about mastering specifically to understand what they're looking for and how I can best serve them. So... I kind of tell people, you know, when you're writing a song, almost no one writes a song perfectly the first time. You know, usually they rewrite words and change phrasing and live with the song for a day or a week or a month or a year. And then they finally write the final lyrics. And no one really bats an eye on that. It's actually like praised within the community usually to like beat the song up and we call it like fight for the song or can you beat that line we don't call it like hey why don't you revise your song <laughs> like we call <laughs> why it, don't you do better yeah why don't you do a revision on your lyrics because they're not good like no one communicates that way but we're doing it's the same exact process and we do this we do revisions you know from start to finish every you know songwriting you revise production you revise Let's talk about recording. You do a hundred takes of stuff. You're ju- you're doing a revision every time. Every comp is a revision. Every take is a revision. But we don't really bat an eye at it. Um, but for some reason, when it gets to the mix mastering stage, revisions become this like personal attack, or you know, at least what I've observed with people, and I used to be that way, is it feels like people shouldn't be able to dialogue with you and have you change things in the mix master stage because, I don't know, we take it as they don't trust us. Um, 
They don't really know what's best for the song, which there's a little bit of that in there. But overall, like what I've learned within revision world is that people just are trying to get the song done. Like the artist or client or manager, whoever is paying you money. They're on a timeline, they're on a budget and they just want the song done. And they're telling you these notes because they believe that those notes are the way we can wrap this project up and get it done the fastest and get the best in product. And that's the mindset shift you have to have for me, at least in my opinion is that you have to view revisions as a positive thing, as the answer to the test, as a way you're dialing in the song, even closer to the client's end vision. And sometimes even with revisions, like I, if someone's like, Hey, what do you think about adding more low end? I have no hesitation saying like, sure, I'll run one with more low end so we can at least compare because I believe that the no leads to the yes. So even making a revision just to listen to two versions to potentially see if we could quote unquote beat version one is totally worth it to me to make sure the client's happy and we've explored the options they want to explore to make sure this end song reflects you know, something they're proud of and they want to put out. So sometimes you have to explore the no to really come back to that first version and go, you know what, that really was the best version. And I have that happen a ton, not a ton, but anytime we do that, usually people go back to version one and say like, you know what, version one really was the best fit for the song. Um, And I don't then view that as like, yeah, you were stupid for wanting a second version. I view it as, and I say it in my emails, like, you know, I'm glad we ran another version, a revision, so we could compare and have peace of mind about it together. Like, it's just, it's not a lack of confidence. It's not a lack of anyone not knowing what they want to do. But when we're dealing with art, which art is just the most contextually moving, like, it's just a moving target of what is good and what's correct, you have to be willing to maybe try some things out and not take it personally. So for me, revisions, when I get them, I embrace them. I love them. It's the answers to the test. I know if I do the things they're asking me, the client is going to love it. We're going to wrap the project and I can move on to make the next album with the next client. So that's my opening monologue. Number one, Matt, what do you think about revisions? Have you ever had a revision? Uh, no, I'm, uh, as our listeners might know, I am in fact perfect. So you've knocked yeah, it can, out of the uh, park each time. 12 minutes. We can wrap this episode and we're <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Sam has revisions and Matt does not. And, <laughs> and that's just, I would say that 99% of my revisions are, <clears throat> I would call mixed revisions. And there are like several several stages, and like oh, I guess I'll also get into recalls as well. Yeah, do so it. like if I've found that I'm kind of adjusting my mic, if you hear something weird on on the listening end, um, so I've found that recalls are also healthy, and typically it's on the the upfront part of. Hey, this is sounding kind of phasey. And it's like, if you kind of like go on Instagram, you kind of like look at their room and it's like one speaker's like cocked off to the left and something. It's like, <laughs> oh, this explains a little bit. Um, or maybe somebody just switched rooms or something like that. And it's like something's just not translating right. Or 
hey, this is a lot easier to fix in the mix than it would be in the master, and I would just have to over-process, which is good for nobody. Um, so don't be afraid to, to send a mix back. I, I would say, first of all, like, I don't know, and I, I don't want to come off as like, oh, this is like, like lazy mastering. And it's like, no, I want you to be able to start for, with the best footing possible. Yeah. And it's like, that's why you like run with shoes and not like sandals. It's like <laughs> sandals are going to be all floppy and loose and not going to hold your feet right. But you know, you get on a good pair of tennis shoes. I'm, I'm acting like I'm a runner. I'm <laughs> the last time I ran. <laughs> um, so, oh, yeah, yeah, you get it. Anyway, as far as recalls go, I have no problem asking for a recall or, hey, I think whenever the volume gets turned up, we're going to have an issue here. Um, and that might just be easier to fix in the mix. So all that to say, have a very good relationship with uh, whether, like whoever's sending this to you, whether it's the artist, whether it's a producer, the mix engineer, Make sure that y'all are on the same page. And I mean, sometimes you might get like that other person might kind of be a douche and be like, okay, well, if you don't want to do it, I can find someone else who can do it. And it's like, okay, well, I see where this is going. And that's a not good relationship to be in. So unless you're hurting for money, you should probably look at that situation a little bit differently. Um, As far as, uh, let's see, revisions go... I would say that most of my revisions are the artist is hearing something that they did not like in the first mix that they had sent me just because now it is now at volume and say they had like a tape delay or something like that and like there's like a lot more of something happening, say on the sides, like with the delay or something like that. And it's starting to sound, I don't know, kind of phasey, even though it's not throwing anything weird with a meter. Um, so they're like, hey, would you mind if I recalled this? And it has like absolutely zero bearing on you and you have all your settings written down or your plugins all set. And it literally just means that you're just going to go and you're going to rerun things through like this, the, the chain that you may have had and that might change a very, very little on your end and serve as really just a minor inconvenience. And it's like, sure, that, that's absolutely no problem. So 99% of the revisions that happen in my mastering cycle end up being mixed revisions that the artist or the mix engineer or the um, producer ends up recalling. And for me, that's completely fine. I have, like, some people might get a little bit weird and be like, no, that's going to be extra money because I'm having to do extra work and stuff like that. But I mean, in all honesty, it's not really like being that like forbearing on your life. And it's not really that big of an inconvenience. It's just you just revisit it and you rerun it and you're done. And it literally just knocks it out. And as far as revisions go, it's probably the easiest revision you can have if you're going to have one. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as me with a revision policy... Um, I thought a while ago about creating one and, uh, I ended up going against that. And I think Sam, you and I are on the same page that when a revision policy is in place, people have this mental picture of, I only have X number of times to get this right. 
as opposed to I have like I'm going to work until this is happy and typically you end up having less if no revisions at all. Mm-hmm. So but I feel like a lot of revisions can be like any revisions that I do have, I guess finally getting into this are due to a lack of communication and a lack of uh, the expression of artist expectations. Or, and this is where it gets really messy, and this might get into a place where um, a project gets very bizarre. If a mix engineer or a producer or, and the artist all have conflicting opinions and they all yes. like have to be heard. And that's really, really messy. And um, like as this podcast is for mastering engineers, and I know there are people who are not who listen to this, um, but from the mastering level, y'all just need to take a step back and you need to analyze the situation and you need to realize that what is going on is some crazy... Uh, I'll call it baggage. That is completely outside of like the realm that you normally deal with. And you need to decide what to do with that project because you're now having to please say like a mix engineer who the mix engineer's opinion once it's at mastering does not matter. Right. Unless that mix engineer is in fact the producer. And even the producer's opinion almost doesn't matter because it's all about what the artist says at this point. If the artist is in love with it, and it doesn't matter if the producer or the mix engineer thinks that there's too much delay or reverb coming into the sides or doing whatever or something sounding a little weird to them. And they can point that out to the artist and the artist would like some revision, then yeah. Um, so I know there's some weird dynamics sometimes. And sometimes the artist doesn't even hear it until the, the, until the producer approves it. So, And I mean, that, that, that's completely fine too. It just matters like who are the key players right now in each one of these little situations. Um, So 99% of my revisions come from a lack of communication, a lack of communicating those expectations that everyone has. And then if there are multiple personalities fighting, and don't think this is just like a beginner thing. It's like, it's kind of like when you get out of, middle school and you're in high school and you're looking at all like the middle schoolers you're like man there's so much shit there I can't wait to be an adult everyone's gonna be all mature <laughs> well guess what it's only it's all downhill from here so yeah it's it, it's like if 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 there's the the capability to act like a middle schooler it may it may manifest mm-hmm. so that's 99% of the 1% of those revisions that I get. Um, the biggest thing is to not take it personally. And um, I still find myself a little bit, like, I, not that I'll take it personally, but it's just like, hmm. And then I have to remind myself, this is, um, like, they've literally provided us a checklist to end this project. And sometimes revisions aren't bad. Sometimes they're just like, hey, there's like a little too much like low end here. Can mm-hmm. we do that? And that's literally just like, like in my head, it's just a checklist of things that you have to do to make sure this client is completely satisfied and then y'all can move on. I have had, and this has been, this has happened twice within, not the last calendar year, but let's call it like 
March 2019. No, April 2019 <laughs> to April 2020 is when we're recording this. Uh, this won't air probably, I think, until June, maybe late May. Um, I've had clients come back to me like five or six months later saying, hey, I would like I worked with you. I did this. Uh, would you mind if we recalled this? Um, I was never really happy with this, and I'm about to release it. I'm like about I don't know, maybe like a month away or something. But I haven't released it because I didn't really like what so and so did with it. Um, and if it's like the artist coming to me, and I did not originally deal with the artist, and it's like a I don't know what the hell to do at this point, and they're just not happy. Uh, just because things were taken in a direction that was outside of them at, at the mastering stage, mm-hmm. um, then and this has happened twice, which has been like bizarre. Uh, I'll, I'll like I'll show a little grace and I'll be like, yeah, it's like I like what's your deadline, and I will fit this in like as soon as I can if it's not immediate, and normally I'll be able to get to it within a week. Um, but the expectations on my checklist were filled out by. A producer and not the artist, which the artist is supposed to fill out my checklist because it's their expectations and it's their money and it's their music. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought that that was really interesting and everything like went in a completely different direction because you had different sonic references and different everything. Um, it's like, okay, I know where this is going. And we just moved everything in that direction when the artist is like, whoa, we need to, we need to pump the brakes a little bit. And so I'll show a little bit of grace. Um, so another thing is, when do you, say, charge for a revision? Mm. So I had a fantastic record, and I'll pass this off to you after this. Okay. Um, I had a fantastic record uh, that I mastered two Januaries ago, and I loved it, the artist loved it, and everything, and the artist's management said, oh, it could be a good idea if we, like, what if we see if like someone else in town can remix one of these songs? And I and they had this person remix it. It was like a completely different vibe. I wouldn't even have recognized the song. And uh so they did that and he contacted me for mastering and uh I said, "Yeah, sure." I said, "Just so you know because it's so darn different, I will have to charge this as a new song even though I've already mastered this song. This song has an ISRC code and everything. It's like this song has to completely go through like a different thing. And I guess then they were going to shoot it out against the original and what they released. Um, so it's like, if you're coming to me like really, really like a long time later and it's like, hey, I need like this redone or it's like, hey, because of releasing and because of um, some, <clears throat> call it, let's say we were, we were using some licensed material as a uh what do you call it i don't know we put someone else's licensed material in here as like a filler or Mm, something like that we just we just like it happens all the time and uh but we want to release it in a commercial or it's going to get placement or something and we need to remove that would you mind rerunning that and i'll be like that's another master it's like you're coming to me six (laughs) months later it's like that's another thing um so the only time I'll also charge is if you are adding like completely new parts that are completely changing up the gain structure of the right. song and in between revisions 
and it just gets obnoxious. So, anywho, I kind of want to hand off to like you, Sam, on like when do you push back on Ooh. this type of stuff, and like like when is your little threshold of uh, like the little ticker that goes off of <laughs> when like you're being taken advantage of, like right. you're because you're you're an incredibly generous person. Oh well, thank you. And so, what? Well, you are, and so it's like you 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 like people, you like serving people. Yes. And so my question to you is, when does that threat? When is that threshold exceeded for when like you decide to push back when you're being taken advantage of? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, thank you. Thought of it myself. That's great. You're so smart. So smart, man. <laughs> um, push back. I will only push back if. Um, Man, it's so interesting because, like, the longer I do this, the less I push back on things, especially when people have signed off on the mix, especially as I get higher up. When it's like the producer signed off, the mixer signed off, and these people are do have some weight because maybe they're all involved financially on some level in the label and ADR and they're all managers, blah, blah. Um, so I'm very careful what I push back on. Um, I will only push back if I genuinely think that it's going to be detrimental to the song coming out, you know, and translating everywhere, which is very uh. honestly rare for me personally to push back on something like that. If someone's like, hey, we need a lot more low end. And I'm like, guys, we are already... 2db you know shelved and now we're at like 3db or 4db and it's like this sounds like a whole different vibe and mix then i will i mean i'll push back in a a in a a nice way in that saying like sometimes and this is rare a few times a year i'll say like hey where are you listening to this at you know if if we're at a point where i'm like just you know, I've cranked the low and I'm like, holy crap, this is destroying the car, speakers, the room is shaking. There's no way this is going to sound good in the public. Um, which I only know that now because I've done so many records at this stage to know like certain curves or certain ways of placing things just don't work. If you're trying to compete in the commercial realm, there are things people look for, listen for, and our ears pick up on that makes it feel like this is a commercial record. Um, and so I might ask them, like, hey, where are you listening to this to? Um, and see what they say. Sometimes they say, like, I'm in the studio. Or sometimes they say, like, I'm on Beats headphones or I'm on this or that or home theater or something or sometimes people will I've had it happen where people will say like oh I didn't realize I had like this EQ setting on in my car you know set on for some reason where it's like a, it's always like the bass is yeah like bass and- boost or something going on different and uh cause sometimes when you switch from aux or bluetooth to radio <laughs> or cd at least in my car the sound settings don't transfer. So in my hmm. car, each option, source option, has its own EQ capabilities. 
which I enjoy because to me, CD, Bluetooth, aux, radio, all sounds drastically different when it's played as far as like the way it's compressing, compress, compressing and encoding. So I might tweak the EQ differently based on what I know is lost in transmission. That's me being the mastering engineer <laughs> in my car. Um, but yeah, as far as pushback goes, when I don't know, it's I don't really get to that point anymore. Um, I have such a good relationship with my clients now that they will come to me um, before we start and will ask me, "Hey, can you listen to the mix? You know, and give me your feedback before we start." And anytime it starts like that, you know, I immediately ask, "Like, well, what do you think about it?" you know, or what does the client think about it and what are your concerns before I chime in because I need to know the context of how to respond. So if the mixer is like, I just hate it, man, it just sounds like a mess, but the client loves it, then I'm going to kind of be like, well, if the client loves it, Hmm. then this might just be a personal ego thing where you don't like what the client wanted, (laughs) you know, which is something you have to get over a lot of times is... Uh There's not a lot of records I have, but there are definitely records where I feel like I would do something different um, than what the client wanted. But also at the end of the day, I mean, you've said it too, Matt. We are in a service industry, um, and I'm here to serve the client's vision and art, and sometimes, and most of the time, that will trump my own bias, um, unless I feel like it's detrimental. I'm most, I'm always most concerned about usually who is paying me, (laughs) like whoever is actually paying Mm -hmm. me money. That's to me, usually who has the final word as far as like what will trump everything because that's the person paying my bill and who's hired me. And so the last thing I want to do is gang up against that person with the mixer producer um, you know, if the artist is footing the bill or like, you know, a label is, and so there's an A&R or somebody who really kind of has the final sign off or even like a right. vice president might get involved, you know, of listening to a higher up artist. And, and that's something that's newer for me the last year or so working on some country stuff like the vice president of different labels will be involved in listening and signing off on things. But is it like the vice president or is it like somebody's wife who has made the vice president <laughs> well, who wants to say and how her favorite artist sounds. I don't want to or say his favorite artist. I don't sounds. want to say too much. It depends on the label. We'll say that um, on, on who you're getting. But regardless, that person still has power, still has been placed there in power and has an opinion. And um, on some level, I have to learn how to work with that. Um, you have to gain the trust of, everyone involved at the mastering stage, which is something that gets overlooked, is when you work on larger projects, you're trying to gain the trust of the producer, the mixer, heck, the songwriter, the assistant at the label, the A&R, the vice president, whoever. You need them all to be on your good side so that you can do your work and then, you know, if you want to make a suggestion... You need to present it in a way that makes everybody feel like, honestly, like it's just a suggestion. (laughs) 
<laughs> like it doesn't have to be the end all be all change. It's very important to make things clear to people that if you if I want to push back and try something, you know, it's it's usually presented as like, can we do this just so we can compare? You know, it's never like a hey, you're wrong and here's your next version that'll be the final. Hmm. There's two different approaches there of if we get to a spot where I feel like we have to make a change because I think it's detrimental, which doesn't happen that often, but the times it does, like I will present it in a way of like, hey, let me just run one like this for you to compare, you know, and then we go from there. So I don't know, like, I, I mean, it's just honestly at this stage, like I am so go with the flow and it's not a lazy or a passive thing. It's just like my ego just isn't that important anymore. And it's really easy. Like me, like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, if I would have heard this, I'd have been like, yeah, but you're compromising and you don't like have backbone and you're slazy and you're not willing to fight for the song and make it sound the best, blah, blah, blah. Did you say you're slazy? Slazy, yeah. Lazy. Like slazy. <laughs> you slazy, dog. Oh, <laughs> um, so sleazy and lazy. <laughs> I'm a coin. I need to put that on Urban Dictionary today. Sleazy. Oh my god. You sleazy. Um, but I would have told me now, like as a younger person, that you know I'd be lazy and not like willing to fight for the song to make it sound the best it can, even if it goes against somebody's desire. But it's just not that important anymore. Like it's what's important is serving the client, serving the people, being able to bring your expertise into it and know that you are just one part of the puzzle and knowing that sometimes what the client wants trumps what you want. And for me, even it's gotten to the point where what the client wants is what I want. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what do I want? I want the client to be thrilled and pumped about the song so they're proud of it. And when it comes out, they don't put it out and go like, ah, I know the low end isn't where I want it to be. So they won't promote it. They won't play it. They won't show it to people. Then that artist doesn't make money because they're not proud of the song. They're not promoting it. And then I don't have work anymore. Like it's from a business standpoint, the the best way to ruin your business and the quickest way to ruin your business is to constantly butt heads with your clients. Like if you want to never make it and never have any friends and never make this into a career, just keep causing friction in projects and see how many clients leave you and happily go somewhere else and pay twice as much money hmm. to have the work done by someone like me who is willing to see their vision, communicate with them, execute, and then be done with it so they can put the song out and get going, like with their life and career. <laughs> like that to me is, I have so many stories, and that's what I try and help. I mean, Matt, you know, my <coughs> obsession with like raising rates and, and mm -hmm. doing things like that is the amount of people or clients I have from people in town who used to pay, say, half the amount of money they used to from so-and-so in town who masters. And I talk with that person who's like, oh, you're mastering this person's stuff now. They used to be my client. You know, can't believe, you know, what are they paying you? And it's like, well, they're paying me my full rate. And their jaw just drops because they're like, well, they always nickel and dime me. And like, 
we I never got paid my full rate, which is half of your rate, and it's like it's all in the presentation. Like it's all in the the experience. It's it's so much more than just the audio. It's how you treat the customer essentially matters. And that is part of what you pay for when you work with a professional is you're not just paying for the expertise, you're paying for the experience from start to finish. And also, I mean, at this stage, my product is really great. So there's value in that. And now there's some credit behind it with, you know, sales and things and labels. But, you know, I, that wasn't always there. I started from nothing. So I was doing really good work before I had that too behind me, but I don't know, like I don't push back a ton. Um, I really, the thing I push for is to understand the client better every project. Um, I try to understand where they're coming from, where the project has been, what the goal is of the project. That's a big one to save revisions and for me, even pushing back, it's like, if they're like, hey, I'm just trying to put this on like a YouTube live video or something, then I might approach the project differently. Or if they're like, this is my first release ever and it needs to be the best song ever and be a hit song, then it's helping them have a bigger view of a career in the music industry and expectation of what a first song is like. Um, or if people all the time ask me, like, how do I get on playlists for Spotify? Or it needs to be loud enough to compete for a spot on a playlist and it's like helping it's just all education it's helping people understand where are you at right now in your music journey what's important and how do i you know best serve that and if you can do that you'll find the revisions get less and less because the person is able to see a much bigger picture outside of the song so if you have a client that is 100% focused on this song as like the end all be all you lose perspective. It's just like when you focus on a mix or a master for so long, everything starts to sound like shit. Like it's just, <laughs> there's no good move after an hour. You know, your ears are done, you know every part of the song and everything sounds bad and you have to take a break and you have to get context of like, what am I doing? And I need a break and I need to see the bigger picture. It's the same thing with artists. At the end of the process, when they come to mastering, so many people are so deep into this process of making music and they're tired and exhausted and out of money or it's the last of the money that they have lost focus and a lot of the times us master engineers get all the frustration because <laughs> we're at the end of the line so they get to take it out on us so it's it's something I try to do is help understand where they're at where they want to go and then help redirect them to the song being out, doing well, and helping, you know, the choices we're about to make help, you know, support the future, not just this, you know, one song. So that all goes into how I discern whether or not I should push back or not. Um, I'll wrap with this, like, with some projects... If I am not a good fit, like if, if there's just like too much going on, say I did some homework on it and I'm like, all right, I think I can take this on. I feel like I understand what I need to do. And we get into it and it's like, hey, this isn't, you know, at this point I can tell by the response usually of like, this isn't going to work out. So I'll, I will refund the money. Now I haven't done that in like five years probably, honestly. Um, 
if I genuinely feel like, you know what, this is my fault on some level, I'm not a good fit for this, and this isn't something I want to be a part of, I'll just give the money back, which is no big deal. I'd rather do that than fight with a client. I'd rather have them have their money to go to someone else who actually might be a good fit. Once again, it may not be the client's issue. Maybe this is not a good fit, but there's someone else who could be a great fit. And that's something you have to think about too. So that is my answer. Monologue number two. What do you think, Matt? You gave me four minutes now. <laughs> you can talk longer than that. <laughs> say what Before you want to say. Gotta go. No, we can do more. <clears throat> um, say what you want to say. I'll see how close I can stay to it. You don't have to. Um, you can go over a little bit if you want. My barometer is uh, pretty true to. Um, when the artist, like when I push back, it's normally when the artist is wanting, um, something that really can't be delivered because what is that doing? That's really just setting you up for failure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's no, there's no other way I can say it is it's like anytime that I, you know, get the. Get the little tinglies <laughs> that they get the inkling that I am not being set up for success. I am being set up for failure. Um, you can kind of hear it when you when you get one of these uh, one of these questionable mixes that you know you might not be set up for like the the easiest thing, or you have like the the little fairy in the back of your head saying, "Oh, this is gonna be a long day." <laughs> One of those, um, I'll normally push back and we'll kind of see where the conversation goes. And I mean, I'm not like, I'm not super confrontational, I, but I have no problem with confrontation. I have no problem uh, inquiring about the things that I think a need a little bit further uh, explanation. Um, <clears throat> uh, an example... And I, I, I've tried to stay away from examples recently <laughs> um, just because I know the people who listen to this podcast are not just mastering engineers. Um, and I know people who are involved in this project who probably do listen to this podcast and are listening to this one. Um, but it's not a bad situation. It's just about knowing your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's about giving you an example that respects everybody's boundaries. Um, <clears throat> there was a project back in uh, 2019 that came to me that, without getting into too many specifics, uh, three of the seven songs on it had been mastered by another mastering engineer. And you could tell that they had been mixed and tracked differently than the other four that I was asked to master that had been mixed by a mix engineer who I'm very good friends with. <clears throat> One second. <clears throat> and they and, and like you could kind of tell where the project was leaning to go and it was hi-fi sounding and it was it was really cool sounding but the other four songs had absolutely no ability to get to where the first three that were already mixed and mastered and by other people 
Um, not the same people. Like this was like different tracking environments, different mix engineer, different mastery engineer, and probably even several different producers. Um, and uh, it, it was just no matter what you did, you just couldn't really get it to where it was going. So much so that you kind of needed to call a spade a spade and just say, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And it's just like where this needs to go. And then it, as it turns out, this isn't downplaying the artist or anything. This is just like, this is just like the craziness in life. Uh, as it would turn out, what was never communicated is the artist never really even cared for the initial masters. Which the initial masters sounded fantastic. It was done by a uh, by a really reputable mastering engineer. They sounded fantastic, and uh, I'd like even kind of like look at this guy's gear and being like, "So what the hell did he use on this to get it that way?" And I eventually figured it out. I never I never reached out to him, but I know what like his stuff sounds like enough because we have similar things, and I ended up figuring it out. Um, and I got the other mixes close, but. It turned out that he, that the artist ended up not even really liking the first three, and he enjoyed the mixes of um, the other four. So uh, he came back to me after I told him, I don't think this is a good fit. Like any project with more than one mastering engineer, in my opinion, is uh, danger. Robinson family, <laughs> danger. Robin, yeah. Don't don't even don't even get into that. Um, because what's the mastering engineer's job? The mastering engineer's job is QC. The mastering engineer's job is to literally take something across the finish line. Um, I get like even if you're taking in songs that like were singles that were mastered by somebody else that want to be included on an album, I'd almost say. And it's like stuff's really far apart from where they need to go. I'd almost say, hey, leave these as singles. Leave the ISRC codes alone. Like, literally, we need to, like, make this an album. Mm. And we need to start from the mixes. Um, so it can it can get kind of hairy. So it ended up, uh, he didn't, like I said, he didn't even really care for those masters. And he really liked uh, like uh, the the new mixes, and we just stripped everything back from the mixes and went forward, and the album sounds awesome. So, um, know when to push back and know where your limits are, and don't put undue stress. Like, don't make, don't put yourself in situations that like put you in like a really awkward, an awkward space. Uh, I mean, know know your limitations. So, yeah. Just uh, no one, no one. You're being set up for failure, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's just like things are just too hairy, things are too wiry. Um, it also goes into like knowing, like when to put some margin in for like other records, and knowing like, hey, this is this is this project is not for me. And I mean that just that's just a part of being like a healthy engineer, entrepreneur, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So I don't know if I went off the rails there a little bit with that story, but that no, was good. That was a that was a situation that had happened to me and that's how we ended up resolving it. I had turned down the project and then he came back and said, I actually don't even like these. Um 
So if we can like remaster the whole thing, and we ended up like working out like something and everything, and it was, um, yeah, it all it all it all turned out really good. The album sounds really good. It's released now. He's really happy with it. I think everyone who worked on it's happy with it. So, yeah, it's good. I still play with those mixes every now and then, being like, man, can I get it up here? Can I can I do this? So, and just being like, man, well now like I have this piece of gear, I have this piece of gear, I'm able to do that and. It's like no, I, I like all second guess my stuff myself all the time. And it's like no, let like we made the right decision. Mm-hmm. So we're humans. We like, but like just trust your gut on stuff. So Sam, I I've got out all that I wanted to say on revisions. Wonderful. Anything else you have? I for the people feel good. In podcast land. I said what I wanted good. to say. <clears throat> good. Well, we can uh, we can get you on on out of here. Woo! And uh, I've been yeah. wooing more in these this season. I'm not sure Are why. Are you a woo girl in season three? <laughs> That's what I think about. Yeah, perhaps I am. Like a college girl at a bar when like Woo! the shots come to the table. Yeah, Woo! just real excited. <laughs> just real, you know. I'm just really excited about the podcast. Well, there you go. It's a good podcast. It's great. So, anywho. Uh, yeah, if you like the beat that's probably playing in the background right now, it was made by uh, by Sam, and you can find it at beesabeats.com. Mm-hmm. And if you like some merch, we have fine merch. We had a cold day today. It'd be a great day for some socks. I wore them today. I kid you not. Yeah. I wore them Poor on my occasion. Walk. I'm a fan. So yeah, if you'd like the uh, the finest in uh, men's or women's footwear, <laughs> um, definitely definitely uh, nice padding, nice little nice little pattern on there. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, what's that funky pattern on there? And you can be like, these are my tube socks. <laughs> and you can surprise so them with your tube socks. <laughs> so we got mugs and we got whiskey glasses, which those are good for even if it's not cold outside. That's right. The best thing about mugs is you don't even have to have, you don't even have to put coffee in it. Right. But people think you have coffee. But you don't. Anywho, we have merch at theattackandreleaseshow.com. We'd love the support. If you like this episode or previous episodes, if you can give us some likes, stars, comments, or more importantly, tell a friend. Mm, that yes. would be that's what we want. That would be fantastic. Like this growth has really just been by like very minimal and terrible Instagram marketing. <laughs> like completely unpaid, really, just by our own accounts. And uh word of mouth and we cannot be more thankful for that so if you wouldn't mind telling friends that would that would be fantastic um yeah so whatever you're having morning afternoon evening have a darn good one sam matt cue the music cue it see y'all bye